Hello friends, welcome to another episode of White Collar Crimes. I'm Ryan Horn, your host. Great to have you aboard as always. For those of us that are old enough to remember about uh, 16 years ago, we remember the horrors that uh, was from Hurricane Katrina. And we remember the disaster that followed not only from the storm, the hurricane itself, but uh, the political corruption and whatnot that entailed and what followed that from the corrupt Mayor Ray Nagin at the time. We're going to revisit that, um, oddly, at the time when we have a Hurricane Ida, which has done an incredible amount of devastation to the state of Louisiana altogether. And we're going to look back at how corrupt the mayor's incompetence was and corruption and how much problems that caused for the city of New Orleans. It's hard to imagine, but it's almost been 16 years to the day when Ida hit uh, from the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. New Orleans is, you know, once again being hit hard by a hurricane. And uh, those of us that are old enough to remember, we can recall the horror and all those things that happened that followed Katrina, the looting, the violence, the rape and murders, the shootings, you know, on and on and on. Not to mention the this catastrophic damage the hurricane did to that city and, you know, that pretty much entire region. But uh, nonetheless... It's uh, never easy cleaning up after that. On a much, much smaller scale, I do have a little bit of experience at that. Back when I was a small-town mayor, we had a what's known in the Southern Illinois area as the May 8th storm. That was a bad storm that hit, uh, it's been called, referred to as a derecho and things like that. Hit here in Southern Illinois, did you know pretty bad damage. Some of the people that came up from other parts of the country to do tree work and things of that sort, I had some tell me that it was just about as bad as they had seen with some, you know, hurricanes and things like that, but nonetheless, nowhere near, you know, what Katrina was. But I know what it's like to have to come in and clean that up, and everything is just chaos in a time like that, and you are just simply trying to get some kind of order before you can begin the cleanup and the healing process and all that that comes from, you know, these type of disasters. And, you know, in times like this, the citizens, they look for you to do that. When you are a mayor, the city is going to look to you to lead the way to get that cleaned up. And at this time, New Orleans had a young mayor named Ray Nagin. Uh, He'd only been mayor for about three years at that point, so he was still fairly new on the job. Um, Hometown kid, born and raised in New Orleans. Came from, from what I've read, fairly modest means. Certainly uh, was not born into wealth like, unfortunately, a lot of politicians in this country are. So he did go on to graduate college, uh, got licensed, and became a certified public accountant. After college, it was reported that uh, he went on to uh, Detroit and worked for GM. Then after a while, he moved down to Los Angeles and uh, Dallas, worked in various positions. Settled down and got married in 1982, had three children, and then later returned to his hometown in New Orleans to work at the Cox New Orleans, which was a poorly run cable company there, which you can't honestly tell me a cable company that's not poorly run. Um, uh, Comcast, as we know, has been rated one of the worst run companies in America. I briefly worked for a cable company some years back, a local cable company here. And although I will say they provide pretty decent internet service, uh, their customer service is atrocious as it usually is. With that, we all know what it's like once you get hooked in and they get you in. They no longer care what kind of quality service they dish out to you once they've got you hooked in, especially if they've got you on a contract. So he took over a poorly run company, 
But he did quickly rise to, uh, to the level of uh, general manager and, and vice president of this company. And it was reported he was making around $400,000 a year. So uh, pretty good salary, you know. And he uh, was noted for his ambition at this time. It was reported he went back and got his MBA, which... You know, I know the work it takes that. I was a little older when I went back and got my master's degree. So I know the work that it entails, especially when you're trying to work and, you know, meet family obligations and, you know, things of that sort. But nonetheless, he went back and got it. And uh, at this time, he uh, kind of started having some political ambitions and people around started to take note of him. And, you know, he's with his youth and uh, success and ambition, he certainly appeared to be a good quality candidate for uh political aspirations and to hold political party. Um, there was a rumor that he'd once been registered as a Republican, but he staunchly denied this and maintained that he was, quote, a lifelong Democrat, which he was a Democrat, as we'll see when he later on got elected. But he enters New Orleans mayor's race in 2002, finishes first in the initial runoff. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with a runoff, some states and cities do this in elections when they have a crowded pool of candidates. They will have almost like a uh, qualifying heat like you would see in a track and field meet. And uh, the top candidates get to go on to the second round. And this is a way to kind of eliminate some fringe and uh, really not maybe serious candidates or, or whatever. So he wins the first round of this runoff. And then he uh, faces off against the police chief, a guy by the name of Richard Pennington. And beats him in a landslide, becomes a young mayor, the future's bright and ahead of him, got all kinds of uh, prospects, and, you know, the world's his oyster, so to speak. And uh, they did actually start off pretty well for him out of the gate. Initially, uh, he did deal with a hurricane, Hurricane Ivan. Um, for those of you who remember, this is one that happened in September of 2004, so just almost a year before Katrina hits, uh, he gets his first test, and... He initiated at this time a voluntary evacuation, and they say pretty much a large exodus did ensue. Amazingly, though, the hurricane ended up missing New Orleans, and I do have a little bit of a personal experience as that as well. Uh, like I've said before on here, my wife and I lived in Florida for about a year, and right when we moved there, there was a hurricane that was projected to hit that area, and of course, we and everyone else stocked up and made a big preparation, and all of those things and at the last minute it did turn and you know went up towards the east coast and the whole year that we lived there I did not experience it but 2004 if I recall some of the locals told me that was a bad year not only for the hurricane there but uh, you know it hit other parts of Florida and I was told there were several hurricanes that year if I recall correctly but uh, nonetheless it did miss here so he would get that test again about a year later Katrina struck and then he was reported to make statements that uh, he would take care of those that did not evacuate, quote-unquote. It was later revealed, however, he did ignore offers of federal help and recommendations to evacuate. President George W. Bush at the time declared the entire state of Louisiana a disaster area. And after further federal warnings, Nagin did finally issue the city's first ever mandatory evacuation because things have to get bad most of the time when we do have calls for evacuation even in hurricanes when we've seen most of the time they're pretty much voluntary and uh you know most people probably take advantage of it and get out but there are some people that do hang out behind and that was the case here in new orleans even though there had been a 
order issued, people still stuck around and hung around. And it wasn't good as we know what followed. But he issues the city's first ever mandatory evacuation. The New Orleans Superdome, which is where the Saints play, those of you that are football fans know that, it was set up as an emergency shelter. Now, unfortunately, we know the nightmare that unfolded there later. Lots of robberies, rapes, all kinds of uh, mass dis- you know, chaos that ensued following this. But at this time, when the, after the mandatory evacuation had been issued by Mayor Nagan, the New Orleans PD had reported to his office that a, at that time about 80% of the city was already evacuated. Now, as we know, Hurricane Katrina had vicious flooding and it destroyed a huge part of the city, pretty much put the city underwater. Uh, the damage left behind, as we know, would take years to rebuild. A lot of people were scattered out elsewhere, had to you know, leave. Their homes were completely destroyed. They had to settle in a lot of other areas. Texas, I know, ended up taking in a lot of residents from New Orleans. So certainly catastrophic for the people that uh, live there. But during the rebuilding, this is when Nagin kind of became a source of controversy and started getting some unwanted negative attention, you could say. One of the quotes some of you guys might remember that he said that when it was all said and done, that New Orleans would be a, quote, chocolate city again. And by that, he meant a majority black city. Didn't set well with some. Some perceived that as a racist comment, but nonetheless, he survived it. But he went on to make some other controversial statements. He said he shared the residents' concerns about New Orleans, quote, being overrun with Mexican workers, i.e. the cleanup from this. So... Again, a little bit of controversy, but, you know, he's a Democrat and he, you know, the news media generally does not hammer Democrats for things they do and say. So he uh, he survived it. But in 2007, he continued to get criticism for other things, Uh, the increase in violent crime, which we know, you know, we've all seen the horror footage and the shootings and all the things that were going on in the looting and rampaging following Katrina. Well, this trend continued and New Orleans saw a huge spike in violent crime during his tenure and uh, it only continued to get worse. And then allegations of corruption began to plague him. In 2009, a Freedom of Information Act request from a local news station was made and they began investigating Mayor Nagin's alleged destroying of some city emails. They found that over 5,400 from Mayor Nagin Mayor were destroyed, and later against him, they were used at trial. There was a man by the name of Frank Fredelia, kind of, I guess, probably a local organized crime figure from what I've been able to read. In 2012, he ends up pleading guilty to one count of conspiracy to bribe a public official. And he claims that he had delivered a truckload of granite to Nagin's son's business in exchange for preferential treatment with city contracts. Now, finally, in 2013, Mayor Nagin was indicted on 21 corruption charges. Now, these charges included wire fraud, conspiracy, bribery, money laundering, and filing false tax returns. He pleads not guilty. And in February 2014, though, after trial, he was convicted on 21 or 20 of 21 counts. And it was disclosed that he had later had over half a million dollars he had gotten in exchange for millions 
in city contracts, the good old kickback system. And folks, as we all know, this has been around in politics as long as there has been politics. Nothing new here, but he made a huge fortune off of it. And uh, I'm sure, who knows, probably even more than that. This is just what was recovered and what was known. It's quite possible he might have ended up, you know, stealing a lot more than that. And again, not to just pick on him. We know there's certainly plenty of other elected officials that have, that have done things like this. He certainly is not alone. Like I said, the kickback system. And again, those of you that may be not familiar with kickbacks, that is when just that, an, a, a, a city official, a government official of some type, elected official, will offer a, a contract to you know, some type of service. And in return for that uh, service, the uh, business owner there kicks back a portion of the money they make into the pockets and coffers of the corrupt politician that made the deal, you know. Completely illegal, yes. Uh, All too common practice in American politics, that's also yes. But in July, on July 9th, 2014, he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. And he was ordered to pay over $500,000 in restitution. Now, we all know that generally doesn't end up happening. You know, I've talked on previous podcasts on here about the Wolf of Wall Street, how he had been ordered to pay restitution to his victims and paid almost nothing, did pay a little bit, but basically almost nothing. When you look at the big, large, grand scheme of things that he actually did owe, um, he paid very little to it. But he was ordered to pay $500,000 in restitution, but uh, not likely anything would be paid because one month later, a federal judge did declare him indigent, and uh, he was declared basically almost penniless. And Later that month, he goes ahead and serves out his sentence. He goes to federal prison. And, you know, a sad thing that happens, a career that was once promising and once had a lot to go uh, for it. I I got one coming up, a very similar story I'm going to do in the future. I've uh, covered former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick's case in some white-collar crime courses that I've taught in college at the collegiate level. And we'll cover his case, too. Also, a very similar story, young rising star caught up in corruption and was uh ended up being brought down and you know sadly ends up going to prison and destroying a great career well something similar here with nagan uh you know again being elected a very young mayor who knows if he would have been able to stay straight and honest he might have been able to rise up to an even higher level than that and uh could have possibly you know sought up even in higher office maybe uh you know, a governor or a congressman, senator, who knows what he would have been capable of. And kind of sad, you know, came from modest means and ended up having this happen. Uh, also kind of reminds me of in my home state, home state former Governor Rod Blagojevich. Uh, many of you might be familiar. Uh, his sentence was just commuted last year by President Trump, and he was released a little bit early by in, from federal prison. But, you know, he went to fed, uh, federal prison. You know, he was convicted on some corruption charges here in Illinois, and he was impeached and removed from office and later sentenced to federal prison. Same with him. Came from modest means and backgrounds, but through education and, you know, political hustle and things like that, he managed to rise to the level of governor, um, only to end up in prison, you know, tragically didn't fulfill his potential. And, you know, I think from what I've read and some of the tapes and things I've heard from his undercover tapes that were used against him in tri- at trial, he had higher aspirations. He had hoped to actually rise to the level of maybe senator or, you know, president or vice president or something like that. But nonetheless, it does happen in uh, in all these cases, whether it be Blagojevich or Ray Nagin or, uh, 
um, Kwame Kilpatrick, any one of these, the case is always that corruption and that greed is what ends up bringing them down. And Nagin's lust for a quick, easy buck is what took him down here. Now, he was projected to be released from 2000 in 2023, but last year in 2020, due to the COVID-19 outbreak, it was reported that he was released on house arrest. That's pretty much the last update I've gotten on it. I don't know if that's you know still considered part of his sentence, that he'll just do the rest of it on house arrest and then maybe be released to regular federal probation slash parole. But uh, that was the last update we have of it. Now, who knows? Um, may not hurt the last of him. He certainly wouldn't be the first crooked mayor to go to prison and, you know, end up coming out and getting elected again. I'm sure many of you that are old enough to remember Marion Barry, the Washington, D.C. mayor who was caught smoking crack in a motel, sleazy cheap motel with a prostitute, gets busted for it, busted for some other corruption charges, does a short stint in prison, gets out, gets elected on the city council. It, it happens over and over again, especially in these big cities, they are just uh, ripe with corruption and, you know, white collar corruption. These are textbooks ex- examples of it when they use their political position to line their pockets, just like Kale Patrick did here. Uh, that's white collar crime. And one of my favorite quotes about politics, uh, Harry Truman, pr- famous, you know, president, one of the best famous quotes he had that said, you know, you can't get rich in politics unless you're a crook. And that is so true. You know, you have a basic salary, you know, good salary, good benefits in these, you know, elected positions, but certainly not enough to where you can get wealthy. And, you know, that's usually should be a warning sign when folks that are on these type of salaries are making huge amounts of money and living high on the hog, so to speak. Something, uh, something's not right. Something's not amiss or something's amiss. And that's certainly what we've seen in the case like this and in, in some other ones. But, like, who knows? Like I said, we maybe haven't seen the last of Mr. Nagin, but we'll certainly see, you know, how this will all end up playing out. And uh, hopefully New Orleans now has a little bit more of a competent and honest mayor to deal with the cleanup and aftermath of, of Ida here. I know our, certainly on this show our hearts and prayers and thoughts go out. And, you know, if you can find your favorite charity to donate to, I would recommend donating helping with the cleanup effort or, you know, if you want to just donate supplies or things, I'm sure you can find a local or a, you know, somewhere agency online that would be willing to do that because uh, it's going to take a while to get this cleaned up and they'll need good leadership to do it. So, but yes, we'll have some uh, good episodes coming up. Um, I'm going to talk to you also about coming up about the Ponzi scheme. Yes, you, you know about the Ponzi scheme, but do you know the man who was behind it? You're going to hear the story of the man who truly was named after Deep, or he, you know, the Ponzi scheme was named after. Going to hear his story. Like I said, do one up the road about uh, uh, Mayor Kilpatrick. Also about the uh, old slave house and underground slave uh, railroad in Southern Illinois, where I'm at. That was a basically a 1800s case of white collar crime. But uh, we're going to take a little bit of a look at that. And as always, like I said, we appreciate you to tune in, uh, like us on Facebook as well. Tune in to our podcast. Uh, share episodes there's a link you can donate money if you like to but like i always say we much more appreciate your viewership but there is a link if you want to donate it certainly helps us continue to bring this show to you and you know if you do follow me on my regular facebook page uh, we do have a foster puppy here right now that we'd like to find a home for so check that out and see if you can help us do that and as i always say if you get a chance looking for your next best friend you know don't go with the backyard breeder get 
you know, shop your local shelter. They need your support and your help and everything as well. But we'll keep getting these stories out here, keep exposing the corruption, hope for a more better and just and honest criminal justice system. And as always, I thank you for being with us. God bless, and we will see you next time.